Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore. Each week we take a dive into a popular motto, mantra or phrase, looking at their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. Later on, we'll be joined by a special guest who will chat about how the phrase resonates with them. I've had a really busy week. I wonder what your week has been like. But you know, it's now time for you to just unwind a little bit and enjoy this week's program because we are celebrating International Women's Month and you're going to hear about a lot of women this month who have done some wonderful things. And I like the month because I get to hear about women I wouldn't necessarily have heard of. It's one thing to be a woman who is celebrated and everyone knows about her. But to me, it's always really wonderful when I can learn about someone who I didn't know about, who has been doing something really marvelous in their own communities or in whatever they do. So I'm really looking forward to this month. And I hope that you're looking forward to this week's show because it's an amazing one. And the metaphor is one of those metaphors that possibly you haven't heard of before or you've heard something similar. And the metaphor is, for a woman, life is a battle and her beauty is a goddamn machine gun. What a powerful phrase, right? It's International Women's Day tomorrow and the theme this year is Break the Bias. Today's episode is chock full of trailblazing women who have continually pushed boundaries, redefining what it means to be a woman. Later on, we'll also be interviewing one such person whose career has focused on inspiring the women around her. Speaker, mentor and philanthropist Dr. Diane Riney is this week's special guest. She'll be catching us up on what it means to empower your friends, whether local or international, how we can relate to each other's experiences and how we can help each other out. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. You want righteous rhyme and I'ma give you some To enable you to age yourself and get paid And the material that has no meaning I wish to play Pay me every bit of your attention Like mother, like daughter I would also like to mention I wish for you to bring me to the Bring me to the rhythm Of which is now systematically given Desperately stressing I'm the daughter of a sister Who's the mother of a brother Who's the brother of another Plus one more Or four Have a job to do We do and it respect due To the mother who's the root of it And next up is me The M-O-N-I-E-L-O-V-E And I'm first Cause I'm a L-A-Z-I-E Contact in Back the style, it gets harder. Cooling on the scene with my European partner. Laying down track after track, waiting for the climax. When I get there, that's when I tax the next man or the next woman. It doesn't make a difference. Keep the competition coming. And I recite chapter in verse. The title of this recital is Ladies First. Today's quote comes from Netflix's Coming of Age series, Ginny and Georgia. In case you haven't watched it, it's a teen drama set in the States. It's all about a young mother who has learned to survive through weaponizing her femininity, all told through the eyes of her teenage daughter, who starts putting into practice some of her mother's techniques, with adolescents acting as the real driving force. The quote summarizes her mother Georgia's stance perfectly. Having fled an abusive childhood only to fall into the hands of one shady man after the other. She does do some questionable acts during the series. Feel free to check it out for yourself. But there is an underlying concept that historically women who have learned to match their looks 
to their charm are often able to blindside an unsuspecting male. Here she is talking about one of them. Austin's dad's terrible. He's in prison. Prison? For what? Fraud. Embezzlement. Oh, don't worry. He was framed. How do you know? I framed him. It's no secret that traditionally women haven't had the same rights that we have today. A clear marker of this has been when it comes to voting. Being able to vote is incredibly important. Taking part in democratic decision making inherently promotes and protects our human rights and freedoms. Did you know that New Zealand was the first self-governing country to grant women the vote in 1893, though women could only run for election in 1919? Women in the UK over the age of 30 were allowed to vote from 1918 onwards, with anyone over the age of 21 gaining the same right in 1928. It took up until 1945 for French women to have that same right. It must be noted that historically. Governments have granted the right to vote to whoever they have deemed to be the most valuable kind of citizen. In fact, it took until 1960 for all First Nation Canadians to be granted the vote without having to revoke their own status and treaty rights. This particular human right has very often been given to certain groups and then taken away from them. The rules that govern American elections are largely made by state politicians. That's how it's always been. Voting was always left to the states. Different states can try different systems, and if they work, other states will copy them. And these partisan politicians can also set the rules for who has the right to vote at all. You know, I remember in 2016 when my wife ran for office. And I couldn't even vote for her because I lived in Florida. I couldn't vote for my own wife. Florida had stripped the right to vote from all convicted felons for life, but from 2007 to 2011, 155,000 of them got it back from then Republican Governor Charlie Crist through a nearly automatic process. Then Rick Scott became governor. I will never forget when the governor at the time, Rick Scott. Rolled back the clemency policies from the previous administration. Ex-felons now had to make their appeal in an in-person hearing. People would basically go in front of the governor and his cabinet and beg the governor to restore their rights. I'm here to get my rights back so I can have a voice. And the governor would just deny uh, so many people for no rhyme or reason. I deny full pardon. I deny full pardon. I deny restoration of civil rights and deny the full pardon. That whole process was an arbitrary process. Scott restored the right to vote to less than 4,000 ex-felons over eight years. The right to vote is just one mountain that women have had to climb. Various roles and positions have very often been incredibly difficult for women to get involved in, but not impossible. We're still seeing women cross these hurdles, changing society's perceptions about our abilities and capabilities. Sandra Agbor, the first lady mechanic of Nigeria, is one such woman. Having conquered the automotive world of this African nation, she uses her skills to teach vulnerable women her trade. Here she is discussing her life's work. All right, then. Good luck. My name is Sandra Agwebo. I'm the first female mechanic in Nigeria and the founder of the Lady Mechanic Initiative. I've been a mechanic for 32 years. 
and I've been running my own garage for 22 years now. So that is the way it works. The Lady Mechanic Initiative is working with the vulnerable group, the commercial sex workers, the school dropouts, married women who wants to acquire skill. They are like, there's no more hope in my life. I said to them, you know what? You have got a lot of hope. I'm going to help you build that hope. I'm in our year, she has five children and she's a mechanic. Amazing. Because they are vulnerables, they don't have money. They are from poor background. So they don't pay to learn. And we do all this. From the funders, funders pay their stipend, pay for their lecture, overall. And my training is just free of charge. You want to be able to help other women as well. Now we've been able to empower graduated by 1,000 female mechanics in Nigeria in five states. A lone woman entering a more male industry or any industry, depending on when we're talking about, has of course brought its own unique difficulties. However, there are certain qualities that women not only bring, but have learned to use to their advantage. Stereotypical expectations of naivety, innocence, and even unintelligence, at least not matching that of a man's, can be turned on its head. Someone who springs to mind is the late and great Marilyn Monroe, the world's most famous sex symbol, the embodiment of the dumb blonde. However, when you watch her on screen, you quickly learn that these titles pretty much only describe her physically. Thinking deeper, you may even associate her with the idea of performative stupidity, dumbing herself down to fit herself into society's expectations. Now, performative stupidity can only be done by people who are cleverer than their acting and Monroe was a wonderfully intelligent woman having left behind many beautifully written poems to prove it. I heard you were smart but I didn't know. Uh, I'm not. Yes, sure. Don't let me fool no. you, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, you know you have a reputation as uh, among the great mass of people I think is probably the most beautiful uh, blonde uh, in the world but a kind of a dumb girl because you're a beautiful blonde and blondes and dumbness seem to go together. I think it all started with and you as gentlemen prefer blondes. You know, it's interesting um, that people associate um, if you happen to have blonde hair, you know, naturally mm -hmm. or not naturally, however, um, or if you're not out of shape in some way, mm -hmm. you, you're absolutely dumb. I mean, you're considered dumb. I don't know why that is. It's very, I think it's a very limited view. That isn't true, so I'm sure. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter what the person, mm -hmm. uh, what they look like, what color hair they have. Nonsense. Or if they uh, happen not to be out of shape. I mean, my time's to come. Gravity catches up with all of us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Slowly, but I'm afraid inexorably, if that's the right word. A more recent scientific study held in 2014 delves into this idea a little further. Sociologist Dr. Maria Pereira spent three months as a student in a British year eight class. The students were between the ages of 12 and 13. Her research found that the boys at the school had come to believe that their female companions were less intelligent than they were. Societal pressures that men are supposed to be taller, stronger, cleverer and funnier than women are absorbed by younger people as they try to adapt to their surroundings. The girls were more inclined to dumb themselves down to seem more feminine whilst the boys struggled under the pressure to be more dominant than the girls. These qualities were very restrictive and even harmful to the children. 
In fact, Dr. Pereira noted that these ideas of masculinity and femininity were in fact untrue and furthered issues with self-esteem and bullying. Therefore, it is important to promote much less rigid ideas of how each gender should be. So I suppose society and media like creates these concepts and rules about what defines a woman but actually there is no definition. We're all so individual and unique and we should be able to live our lives like that openly every day and I feel that takes strength. It's time to welcome our guest Dr. Diane Riley, founder of the Baton Awards where women from all over the world are celebrated for overcoming barriers within various industries. Check out her social media as her positive, encouraging attitude is infectious. You can see how she's gained success working with her peers to help them to reach their personal goals. Diane, as an award-winning advocate for self-empowerment, you've gained a reputation for constantly telling others to be the change you want to see. What prompted you to champion positive change? Do you know what? I think positivity is just a thing that we all want, isn't it? It's just, it's the core of life, you know? As there is darkness, there's always light. So I've always been raised to have, to champion marginalised groups, to, you know, where you see wrong, always, you know, be the better person. And as Michelle Obama says, you know, when they go low, you go high. It's just all about being that positive change. I think we live in a world where it's all about you, 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 I, 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 and it should be about community. It should be about community at the core of everything. And I just believe that often we can talk about things that we're not happy with, but I always think, well, hold on a minute. Rosa Parks, it took one person standing up. It you know, you if you want to see something different and you want to see a change, whether that be political, whether it would be something just in your local town or village, you change it. You know, you be the example. So it's just something that my mum raised us with. It's about being the example, leading by example. And so I, I, I definitely say to people, you know, if you really have an issue with something, you can be that change. You know, I... I interviewed the late Cloetta Scott King and I always remember asking her about her husband, Martin Luther King Jr. And she said he, he didn't get up saying he was going to be this change maker. He just didn't. He just didn't like what was going on. And that's what I mean. You can We can always be that change. Mm. So it's a mixture of having the, the desire to want to change, but at the same time, a lot of us are, um, I wouldn't say suffering, but a lot of us have low self-esteem levels and that may get in the way, I suppose, of wanting change unless it's reversed and anger makes you change. And that's another, another. Yeah, sometimes it. it is anger. Sometimes it's despair. Sometimes it's looking at your own situation and saying, you know, hell no, this is not going to be my portion, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think whatever it is that creates you to want that change, obviously, I think it should always be positive. <laughs> we are celebrating International Women's Month under the theme Break the Bias. What are your thoughts on this theme? I think of a woman who 
sees things because of my intersectionality, that could be many things. <laughs> break the bias, could break the bias, obviously, as women, break the bias as a black woman, um, break the bias of a black woman with a invisible disability. It could be a few things, you know. And I think it's about us taking a stand and it's about saying, okay, this person has biased thinking, has biased attitude towards me or towards uh, a marginalized group or towards, you know, as towards women. And it's about, it's the same like breaking that glass ceiling, isn't it? It's about mm-hmm. saying enough is enough. And how people choose to break the, the, the biases subjective you know and sometimes it can be very small to slightly shift someone's way of thinking and it doesn't always have to be this big challenges you know or these big steps it could be something really small it could be you just saying to someone who's always had a viewpoint which you felt was biased and you just saying do you know what that's not okay maybe that theme is helping us to get the strength to speak out because sometimes when something is swept under the carpet you just don't you know it's there but you don't discuss it but something as large as international women's month with that kind of theme break the bias it's like saying this is your chance now to say something as you said to speak out about it yeah yeah i think it's also about you know if you think if if you're not a person who's really to put yourself forward into the the spotlight or the limelight it helps you because it says, okay, this is International Women's Month. I feel like I'm, if I do say something or do something, I have an army behind me, you know, so you can live through that theme. So um, I think it's a great, a great one. And I think if it just gets you to think, it's done what it's meant to do. Yes, definitely. How does, for a woman... Life is a battle and beauty is a goddamn machine gun. Reflect your work and personal ethics. That's a very interesting one. I think as a woman, I sometimes think it it's something I love being a woman. Yeah. But it also has its, I call them curses. And I say that because sometimes being a woman, your sexuality if you are blessed with good looks or do you know what I mean? And beauty, and I'm talking beautiful from a superficial um, perspective at the moment, it comes with having to often be in situations which says, hold on a minute. I'm not having this conversation as a woman and I'm, I'm beautiful. I'm good looking. I'm having this conversation because I've earned the right to be in this place and say A, B or C. So for me, it's a really interesting quote or analogy because it can be a positive and a curse. And I remember many moons ago, oh dear, I'll have to go back to the VCR tape, Lord Jesus. Um, and <laughs> And I and I and I filmed something. And back then I was a model and they had me do this. Um, it was all about um women and how they can influence men, particularly, just by what they look like. 
and I did I and I was part of this whole documentary and it was so sad I remember I had to pretend like my car had broken down yeah and wave you know distressed and I was interested to see if it would work and it worked (laughs) it was going to the uh, airport and um wanting to be upgraded you know mm-hmm. and saying oh yes I just far, had far too much stuff you know and mm-hmm. and being upgraded and I thought is it wrong it's a question I had for myself that you can use your advantages to progress you know obviously and I say a big caveat there I don't mean does that mean you sleep with someone or something? I'm just saying, does it just basically because someone finds you attractive, does that mean that you can't use that to seal a deal or do what you've got to do? It was a real quandary to me. Yeah. If you've got, if you're a good at running and then there's something that comes up, which is about running, you would use your God-given skills wouldn't you yes yes. or attributes yes many people won't see anything wrong with that I I know so it's really I think I don't know us as women we're so hard on ourselves I actually think sometimes the biggest enemy is me because I straight away have already decided certain things before I've even stepped out like you said you're a woman, it's a constant battle, but at the same time, you've got some wonderful attributes. And instead of feeling great about them, it just sometimes it just goes all over the place. I don't know how anyone else would think about it, but I think I'm on a kind of similar line as you in terms of how um, I would think about it. But enough about the metaphor. Tell us about your podcast, The Eulogy. Well, The Eulogy for me is all about legacy. It's all about what are people going to say about me after I've gone, you know? What footprint did I have on this earth? Yeah. I always remember um, Alfred um, Noble, who was a guy who invented the um, atomic bomb. And I don't know how, but somebody thought he had died. He had read a, a eulogy about him and it was damning. It really was. But he had the opportunity to change that. He was so upset with what people thought about him. And he said, this is not who I am. And that's why he invented the um, Nobel Peace Prize. Not many people get the opportunity to change the course of something, you know. When I have people on, I say to them, you know, if you could write your own eulogy, what would it say? Who are you? Do you know what your purpose is? Why do you think you're here? How I was raised is you have to think about what is it I want to leave behind? You know, we we have to endure this thing, amazing thing called life, you know. Sometimes it can be short and sometimes it can be long. The reason why I'm so passionate about this podcast is my mum died very suddenly and young, really. She was 57. And the week before she died, we had gone to a funeral and we had been talking about, oh, God, who would come to our funeral? And did you think how many people would come to our funeral? And it, we were we were joking, but we were kind of, you know, you're like, yeah, I've never thought about that. Yeah, who would come to my funeral? When my mum died, thousands of people came. We had 
catered for 400. And I thought, wow, that lets you know how you lived your life. You know, because I know that if my mum had written her eulogy of what she thought would be safe, my mum was quite shy. She would never have thought that she had had that much influence on so many people. And that's why I say it's so important. And it was the community who came together. Remember, I told you we catered for 400 people. Yes. People went home, fry fish, make dumpling. Everybody came together because of the footprint she had left and to me that's all I want I want you know I always say to people my headstone be even though I want to be cremated I say I want it to say you know she lived she tried she tried her best so how can people hear the eulogy Oh, it's on Spotify and all the, you know, the podcast platforms. Mm. Just put the eulogy in and it will come up. I also have another podcast called Behind Her Eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's interviewing women of colour and just having real talk. You know, mm. real talk. Like, come on, tell me, what has it been like? I've just been interviewing the first six guests. And honestly, when I say real talk, yeah. I mean, your talk whether it's about relationships business mm-hmm. career racism misogyny we've we covered everything menopause we uh-huh. name it okay so let's talk about your book all about me you say in it that the reader could be the author of their own life what do you mean by that too often I feel that we allow people to hold the pen to our own stories. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. Yeah, you might have some rocky roads. There might be things that happen that you wish you had an easier time of it. But take control of your own destiny. You know, I'm not perfect. But the things that are not perfect about me, the things that I can improve on every day, I try to. That's all I can do. But everything else I am responsible for. I have, you know, I'm religious, but yes, and I think God has had my back. But ultimately, I need to take action for my own life. And I always say to people, one thing with me, whether it's bad or good, I have the pen to my own story. Nobody else is going to be given that privilege but me. So how can we get in contact with you if someone wants to kind of hear some more, not just through your podcast, but about you and how you can help them? Well, I think um, my website, which is all the W's, dianereine.com. So, and for those who don't know, it's D-I-A-H-A-N-N-E. And at Diane UK, all the social media platforms, it's, D-I-A-H-A-N-N-E-U-K. So um, I'd love to, I love speaking to people. I love getting new perspectives and, you know, getting in some serious debate with people, you know. And that's what I love about life. We don't always have to agree. We just need to respect each other's differences and different opinions. And that's what I love about this wonderful world we and this thing we call life you know it's the all the different shapes sizes colors opinions i love it 
Now, why do women need to be beautiful? What is this age-old obsession that continually tries to reinvent itself? With the arrival of Instagram, we are constantly being bombarded with beauty expectations from all corners of the globe. It is true that the world is shifting its views on beauty. There's more exposure and celebration of women from different cultures and experiences. K-beauty has become a major cultural export of South Korea, moving away from the Western idea of covering a face in makeup to focusing more on skincare. Whilst more and more celebrities are creating their own makeup lines, Fenty Beauty by Rihanna is one that has kept inclusivity in mind, being the first mainstream brand to release 40 different shades for a foundation line, which has since increased to 50. Corner Chasing Horse is a modern who, over the past year, has been making her mark within the typically elitist fashion industry. First modelling for Calvin Klein, she's been on the cover of Vogue, walked Paris Fashion Week, and last year graced the Met Gala red carpet with a look that fully referenced her roots. She's a proud Indigenous American, often promoting Indigenous brands, with her signature being the traditional Alaskan tattoos she wears on her face. But as you listen to her now, you'll see that she really is creating a space for future generations, which just hasn't been addressed before. What was your experience like at New York Fashion Week? It was overwhelming. It was a lot. Very, um, you know, a lot of energy, um, very chaotic, but I had a lot of fun. Overall, I'd never had one single bad experiences, um, you know, being welcome into those spaces is not common for Indigenous people yet. And the more we're starting to see uh, Native people, Indigenous people being welcomed into these spaces, it can feel very, um, you know, I, like you feel like an outsider. You know, you don't feel like you belong there. Um, there were certain moments where I felt alone and like no one really understood me and what I stood for. Um, but there are also really good moments where people would come up to me and remind me like, you know, you're here for a reason, uh, you're representing your people so beautifully and it's okay to feel uh, very alone, but don't forget that there are people that support you. Since different kinds of women are still making strides within fashion and beauty, it's safe to say that we're still working towards a place where we not only accept all forms of beauty, but that we celebrate it. Back to the question, why do women need to be beautiful? And do we value beauty over brains? Well, though we don't often put the two together, it's definitely not true that you can't be both smart and beautiful. You've probably heard of the actress, Hedy Lamarr, beauty of the silver screen, said to be the physical inspiration behind Catwoman and Disney's Snow White. Though we still talk about her dazzling looks, her genius isn't quite as well remembered. Lamar was a keen inventor, having plenty of tools for her hobby in her home. In fact, magnate Howard Hughes even gifted her a smaller set of the equipment to use in her trailer whilst working on set. We don't know everything that Hedy invented, um, but we know that during the Second World War, she teamed up first with Howard Hughes, who was a great inventor himself. He was trying to create the fastest airplane in the world at that time. I thought the airplane was too slow. I decided that's not right. It shouldn't be square, the, the, the wing. So I bought a book of fish and I bought a book of 
birds and then used the fastest bird with a connected it with the fastest fish and I drew it together and showed it to how it used and I said you're a genius and that you way. did yeah Within science and technology, Lamar has made her mark as being the mother of Wi-Fi. Yep, that's right. The technology you're probably using to listen to this show right now was really up to this Austrian bombshell. With a want to pitch into the war effort, her and composer George Anthel came together to come up with some form of cutting-edge technology. She identified that naval torpedoes were given various inputs before launching, but left unguided after the fact. So why not create something that allowed for these torpedoes to be controlled remotely, whilst also not being intercepted by the enemy? In 1942, she patented the Secret Communications System, which was then fully developed by the American military in 1959 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Later on, her invention was used as the fundamental basis for wireless communication systems, such as Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. It's a shame to think that we prefer to celebrate a woman for her beauty rather than her brains. However, this International Women's Day, I challenge you to go to research a woman who inspires you. Maybe it's someone you already know a bit about or someone else entirely. See how they've broken the bias. Swarm, stepping, strutting, moving on, rhyming, cutting, and not forgetting. We are the ones who give birth to the new generation of prophets because it's late. I break into a lyrical freestyle. Grab the mic, look at the crowd and see smiles. Because they see a woman standing up on her own too. Sloppy slouching is something I won't do. Some think that we can't flow. Stereotypes, they got to go. I'm going to mess around and flip the scene into revert. With what? With a little touch of latest first. For a woman, life is a battle, and her beauty is a goddamn machine gun. It's a powerful phrase, which I hope you've come to understand this episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something new. We'd love you to share the show with your friends and please feel free to leave a review on colorful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. If you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at info at metaphoricallyspeaking.co.uk. And before we go... I just want to repeat this wonderful metaphor to you because it's just an amazing one and one that we don't hear enough about. So the metaphor is for a woman, life is a battle and her beauty is a goddamn machine gun. Join us again for another metaphor next week. Until then, keep safe. I'm Delia Delore. Goodbye.